Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Guardians 5, the Royals 3. I'm David Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And we're almost there. We're almost to the finish line of this season. And the Guardians add one more win to their total, up to 91 wins now on the season. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit, but we didn't officially talk about it, how cool it is that the Guardians passed the 90-win mark. Uh, yeah, it's probably something that not a lot of prognosticators had at the beginning of the season. But, I mean, this team has just constantly proved people wrong all year. And I think that 90-win mark, uh, is you know, it, it's going to be such a nice indicator of that, right? Uh, this team didn't just squeak by in the American League Central, right? They didn't just, you know, they're not like an 85-win team that wins a really weak division. They're a 90-win team. That's respectable no matter who you are in baseball, no matter what division you're in. 90 wins is a really solid season. So uh, I think what was a really cool mark to cross, a really important benchmark for this team to cross, to say, no, we, we've played a lot of you. We haven't just played the American League Central. And sure, we took care of business in the American League Central, but we played a lot of you. And it takes a lot of wins to add up to 90. So don't be taking us lightly come playoff time. All right. Speaking of playoffs, we know who we're playing. Uh, we're playing the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, it's official. They lose tonight in five innings. I was joking with my brother. We were texting. And I was like, you know, uh, Cash must be pretty comfortable coming to face Cleveland in that first round. Otherwise, you know he'd be in MLB's ear right now going, you got to restart this game. I mean, they called the game after five innings. You got to restart this game the next day. Let us play a doubleheader. Come on, let's get it. Let us get every inning in we can. Give us a chance. But no, he's clearly comfortable enough coming to face Cleveland in that first round. I don't think you really... I think all four of these wildcard teams are very dangerous teams. Like, yeah, Houston and New York had kind of been, you know, out in front the entire season. They've kind of been pacing the American League the entire season. All four of these teams are dangerous in different ways, right? Seattle with their pitching and their actually they have some decent pop there. Toronto obviously has the lineup, right? They have the power; they can go off. Cleveland gets it done in the Guardians' way: base hits, the contact, the pitching, uh, and then Tampa Bay. I mean, tactically, they are you know really good at this stuff, and they've got pitching. They've got loads and loads of pitching, so. Uh, I don't think whether it was Seattle or Tampa Bay was going to be easy pitching matchup anyways. So I, people were like, oh, no, Tampa Bay's pitching. I was like, yeah, but did you realize what Seattle's pitching did against us? So what's the difference? We're Either way, we're going to have to face some good pitching here. So, uh, all right, that's what's coming up. I'm excited for it. I really am, but that's what's coming up. They still played a game tonight. Things happened tonight. Guys had moments tonight. Guys are trying to get the big landmark numbers with two games left in the season. They're feeling the at-back crunch come down. The two guys I'm going to be looking at tomorrow are Stephen Kwan and Andres Jimenez. Jimenez is right at 300. Kwan is at 299. Now, I know, I know that OPS and OPS Plus and WRC Plus and exit velocity and some of these other things, barrel percentage, are a little bit more important to the front office. Right When the arbiters are coming up with contract salary numbers for these guys in a season or two, 
right? Those are the things they're going to be looking at. Probably not batting average, but still on the back of the baseball card, it's going to say batting average. And you know, both these guys are going to feel so much better about themselves going into the offseason with 300 printed on the back of their baseball card instead of 299. So it'll be very interesting to see if Andres Jimenez plays because he got hit in the hand with another pitch. This guy is a magnet. Not two games left to go in the season. No. In the first game of the wild card, yeah, sure. Hit him every time he's up. I'll take that base runner. Hit him every time he's up. Fine. I, guy on base, I will take it. Uh, but not two games left in the regular season. Oh, no. Don't be throwing inside with two games left in the regular season. We need Andres Jimenez. We cannot do this thing without him. So he looks like he's okay. He wears a pad on that hand. But I wouldn't be shocked if Francona keeps him out of the lineup to protect him from seriously getting hit one more time. Uh, you never know when the next one is going to... I joked, but you never know when the next one is going to be a serious one. And it's not going to find a pad. It's going to find bone instead. So, uh, yeah, maybe we do have to protect Andres Jimenez just a little bit here as the season wraps up. And then Quan sitting at 299. You know he's going to be gunning for a few base hits tomorrow to get that thing up over 300. Uh, I don't know if mathematically it's even possible, but at this point in the season, there's so many at-bats uh, to move it a, a point, literally, uh, you know, one decimal point. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if the math is there for Quan, but I know he would love to finish a rookie season batting 300. Would be really cool and look really impressive when they put those graphics up for AL Rookie of the Year and he's standing there next to Julio Rodriguez. To have that 300 batting average next to his name is going to look really impressive uh, when those voters go to vote. So uh, those are two guys I'm keeping my eye on. Those are the guys right at the line. Ramirez is down at 275. Ahmed Rosario, despite all the hits, is at 283. So nobody else coming close to that 300 mark. Oscar Gonzalez at 293. I don't think he's going to get it. So, uh, but that's, again, that's tomorrow. Uh, Let's talk about this game. And you know what? I buried the lead here because... I appreciate your patience with yesterday's episode. Uh, you know, being a new dad is difficult. I'm not going to lie. And nights like that where he's up screaming and has a fever, it's just, it's rough stuff. So, uh, you know, he has a little medicine in him. Hopefully he's sleeping right now. Uh, and so we're recording this at night because I don't want to have to deal with that. I, I don't want to have to postpone the episode or anything like that because it's a rough morning. So while he's asleep, let's go ahead and do Cleveland Baseball Nightly. That's right, we're getting close to midnight here in Cleveland, and I am on the air to talk Guardians baseball with you. We've got an exciting game here. It really was an exciting game. I mean, we got Daniel Lynch going against Cal Trill. Lynch, a former first-round pick at the end, a compensatory pick, but still a first-round pick going against Quantrill, the very highly, uh, you know, uh, top 10 first-round pick. I think eight overall when the San Diego Padres took him. So, uh, you know, these are two guys that had some pedigree, and Quantrill has definitely developed a little faster than Daniel Lynch has, uh, or a little better than Daniel Lynch has. Lynch struggles when he faces the Guardians. I mean, it is bad. Lynch's career going into the game was 0-2 with an 866 ERA and four starts with a 2.038 whip. A whip over two is terrible. That's walks, hits per inning pitch. I mean, the best of the best, 
Like McKenzie is one of the best of the best, and he's down at 0. 0.9. Uh, the average guys are at like 1.2, 1.3. He's up over two against the Guardians. Not good stuff. His strikeout to walk ratio is one on the dot. 12 strikeouts and 12 walks. So what does he do in this game? Well, he struggles. And guess what? Two walks and two strikeouts. He keeps that one-to-one ratio going. But he gives up eight hits in four and two-thirds innings, five earned runs, one home run on 92 pitches. He's hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. So the bad times continue for Daniel Lynch against the Cleveland Guardians. And they all come in the fifth inning. They come close to batting around. They come close to batting through the lineup. They send eight guys to the plate and uh, put together a five-run rally in the fifth inning to end Daniel Lynch's night. He tried to get through it. He struggled to get through it, but an Owen Miller home run would send him to the showers. Meanwhile, on the other side, Cal Quantrill, he goes a solid five innings, gives up four hits, does give up one earned run, no walks, four strikeouts. On 78 pitches, he's only hard hit four times. That is a tune-up start. That is the vibes you want to go into the playoffs with. This is a dangerous man, Cal Quantrill. If this thing goes to three games, I am feeling very confident in Quantrill versus whoever Tampa Bay is going to throw at us. I was trying to figure out who Tampa Bay is going to start. I'm guessing McClanahan's going to get game one. Uh, Kluber has not pitched this week, so maybe Kluber is in line for a game two. I mean, do they do... Uh, Glass now, who just came back from injury. Uh, Springs uh, had a very good start against us when they were in Cleveland last time. So they have some options here for these three games. It'll be very interesting to see. Maybe because Glass now isn't as stretched out, he comes out of relief in these three games. And they go with, uh, oh boy, Uh, they go with McClanahan, Springs, and Kluber maybe for these three games. Would that be strange to face Corey Kluber? In a clinching wildcard game? Ooh, that'd be strange. Man, that'd be a weird one. So, uh, Quantrill definitely locked in and ready to go if it does go three games. Otherwise, he gets to start the series in New York. Now, I'd rather see Quantrill pitch at home because he's hit ridiculous marks at home. People were tweeting out all sorts of records he's hit now with a team just constantly winning when he's at home. By the way, Quantrill gets the win in this thing. Finishes the year 15-5. and five with a 3.38 ERA. That is that is nice. I know wins not the most important pitching stat, still fun to see next to his name. I'm not going to lie. Again, looks good on the back of a baseball card. That's all I'll say about it. I'm not judging the quality of his season by it. It just looks good on the back of a baseball card. Uh so Quantrill uh just is setting ridiculous records with the team winning when he's pitching at home. Uh, yeah, something like, I think it's 17 starts. He hasn't given up a loss at home. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's incredible. Um, or it's been 17 starts since he's actually, the team has actually lost with him on the mound. Something like that. I know his win streak at home is, is up in the thirties or something like that. It goes back to San Diego days. He just does not lose at home, which is why I kind of wanted to see him pitch game two, but I get it. McKenzie has earned it. Uh, so yeah, so Quantrill has a very good day. What was Quantrill doing that was so good on this day? It was his two-seam fastball. This thing is pretty darn nasty. What does it rank, I'm curious, amongst two-seam fastballs in all of baseball? Uh, pulling up his baseball savant page here. As far as movement goes, it doesn't have elite movement. It's actually in the blue 
Um, it's a lower than league average when it comes to the actual movement of the pitch. Uh, but the value of the pitch, it's got a run value of negative one. All right, so not super impressive. Uh, but very effective on this day. Overall in this season, it's got a, only a 13.1% whiff rate and a 12.3% put away rate. They are betting 296 off it. So, uh, you know, it hasn't been his best pitch this season, but it was on tonight. It was in this game. Uh, all four of his strikeouts come via the two-seam fastball, and they all come at the top of the zone. Uh, pumping them in, three of them against left-handers, one against a righty. He gets MJ Melendez in the third inning on a 1-2 count, swing through one at the top of the zone. It's Kyle Isbell in the fifth inning on an 0-2 count, going up the ladder to get one. Gets Edward Olivares way up the ladder in the first inning to end the first inning on a 3-2 count. And then gets uh, Drew Waters looking on an inside two-seamer to the lefty on a 3-2 count in the fifth inning. Man, just busts him right under the hands. That's my favorite two-seam version of the two-seam. Inside to a lefty that busts him under the hands and just locks him up. Because they expect that pitch. You know, they're used to fastballs coming in up under their hands and taking them. So when it has that little bit of horizontal break to it where it breaks back to the plate, it just locks him up for strike three. I love a right-hander throwing a two-seamer to a left-hander on the inside edge, right on the black, that locks him up. It's a beautiful pitch. So, yeah, that two-seamer, all four strikeouts come via that two-seam sinker. And then when we go to his player breakdown page, uh, has really good CSW numbers. Uh, seven whiffs on 20 swings. That's a 35% whiff rate on that pitch. Add in seven called strikes. It's a 37% total CSW on the two-seam sinker. 27% CSW total on the day for Quantrill. The average exit velocity off that sinker was only 81.4. So really, I mean, MVP of the day might go to that pitch. Uh, specifically, it was that good on the day. All right. Meanwhile, the other storyline of this game, again, the Guardians a little slow to get going. They have some base runners. Ahmed Rosario is just getting hits like crazy every time he's up. They do have two walks in the second inning with two outs, but Straw hits into a force out to end that threat. Uh, like I said, Ahmed Rosario just keeps hitting. Uh, and then finally in the fifth inning, they put it all together. It starts with a mile straw. I believe this was a bunt single. Ooh. Ooh, if he can start making that work, he's got the speed to make that work. If that becomes a consistent weapon for him, that would be very nice hitting in the ninth spot. Uh, so Straw gets a bunt single to kick things off. Quan uh, would fly out. Ahmed Rosario with another base hit. He just hits one, uh, a lazy uh, line drive, 75.7 mile per exit velocity, but it doesn't matter. It's a little bloop shot into center field. Straw goes, uh, I believe, first to third on that one, or does he stop at second? It doesn't matter because Ahmed Rosario hits a M Jose Ramirez. Sorry, Jose Ramirez hits a monster double. Off the wall in left center field, a huge arcing, 102.8 mile per hour exit velocity, 32 degree launch angle, 382. It hits right uh, above the pad for the LED screen out there in left center field. A majestic shot that maybe in a different park would be a home run, but the big 19 foot wall in Cleveland, it's a double off the wall. And more importantly, with two speed guys on base, it's a two RBI double for Jose Ramirez. Just 
unbelievable, up to 124 RBIs on the season. After an Oscar Gonzalez ground out, Andres Jimenez facing a left-handed pitcher. What does he do? Pulls a ball through the right side for a single into right field, scores Jose Ramirez, uh, makes it a 3-1 game, and then Owen Miller works a ridiculously long at-bat. First off, just to jump back, Andres Jimenez against the left-handed pitcher. Pay attention to that. We've been talking about it all season. He is good against lefties. And Francona, yeah, does tend to rest him against left-handers. But when we get into this playoff series, man, he better be in there. He bet I, I got to imagine Francona knows he's got to have him in there every day uh, when we get into the playoffs here. But I do not want to see a left-hander. I think Springs is a left-hander, right, for Tampa Bay. You cannot take Andres Jimenez out of this lineup in the playoffs. He can hit the lefties. He just did it right there for you off Daniel Lynch. He just did it. Please, please don't get too cute with this lineup in the playoffs. Andres Jimenez every day at second base. Owen, speaking of second baseman, Owen Miller would come up right behind him. He actually has struggled against lefties. He's gotten so much playing time. His splits don't look good against lefties. He struggles. Well, not in this at-bat. He gives Francona a little bit of confidence here playing first base. Uh, he works an eight-pitch at-bat going fastball, fastball, changeup, fastball, fastball, changeup. Uh, outside fastball that he fouls off, he could have taken this pitch for ball four. It's a full count at this point. He could have taken this for ball four, but he fouls it off. He had just gotten an inside changeup, so you, you get how he's trying to protect the outside edge, but he really reaches for this one, but then Lynch messes up. Throws him a slider, a spinner right down the pipe, just below the belt. An 85.2 mile per hour, just beautiful spinning slider. And he gets under it and launches it. 104.6 mile per hour exit velocity, 33 degree launch angle, 399 to the bleachers in left. He had actually fouled one off earlier in the at-bat uh, down the left field line onto the home run porch. So he was definitely locked in against Lynch. And he gets one here and hits a monster two-home run, two-run home run to make it a five-to-one lead. So a huge inning for the Guardians, and they would just cruise. Uh, they would get to Karinchek a little bit in the eighth inning. Uh, they would score a run off him there, uh, and then Classe. There'd be some interesting situations in the ninth inning. Uh, Jimenez does kind of make an error on a ground ball, get an awkward throw to second base that. Uh, you know, uh, Ahmed Rosario can't really react to and catch, so it shoots off his glove. The runner moves up to third. Uh, again, a chance to turn a double play, but Andres Jimenez has to tag the base runner because he has to come in a little bit on the ball and then can't get the ball out of his glove quick enough to get the runner at first, so the runner on third comes in to score. So some unfortunate situations there, but with a 5-1 lead, the Guardians are able to hang on, and uh, Classe works himself actually into... Oh, no, it's 5-2 at that point. So it is a save situation. His 42nd save on the season. Really impressive stuff right there. So not a perfectly clean performance from the bullpen. We get to see what Plesak looks like in relief. For some reason, MLB had him listed as the starter for tomorrow in this finale. Uh, they've now updated it to be Savali. Originally, that was updated as Plesak. So I don't know. Something changed. Uh, they use Plesak in relief in this game, and that's his role in the playoffs. He's got to get used to this, and wow, was he efficient. I mean, six pitches. He goes boom through them uh, on six pitches 
in the sixth inning to shut down Kansas City. A Bobby Witt Jr. ground out, a Vinny Pasquatino pop out, and an Edward Oliveri's ground out at 96.4. So, uh, yeah, that's efficient work. I'll take that, Zach Plesak. Yeah, that guy can pitch in the playoffs for me. Henges comes in with two strikeouts. Man, that guy has been good. Uh, Karinczak does have two strikeouts. Klasse does have two strikeouts as well. So the good news about Karinczak is he had command of the fastball. Uh, looking at the illustrator here, uh, he was pounding the top of the strike zone with the fastball, throwing the curveball a little bit all over the place, but he was aggressive in the strike zone. And so was Classe. I mean, absolutely pounding the strike zone. Only two pitches make it out of the strike zone for Emmanuel Classe. He was getting his ground balls. They just couldn't convert those double plays for him to end that game. So uh, good stuff from your Guardians bullpen to take a, uh, you know, a day where Quantrill doesn't go deep in the game and still get that W for him, put that win up. Uh, you know, stretch this out to 91 wins now on the season for the Guardians with a chance to go for 92 in this finale. They talked about it in the postgame. A lot of talk about Ahmed Rosario for his three-hit day, um, but talked about how they don't even, they're not even thinking playoffs. They're just thinking every day, go out there and play baseball. I mean, Francona has these guys in such a good state of mind right now. That's exactly what you want to see heading into the playoffs. Awesome stuff. Uh, now, stick around for a second, because I always say we're going to talk MLB news. We're actually going to talk some MLB news right now, but MVP on the day. I'm actually going to go with Cal Quantrill. I know he only went five innings, but I got to say, it was a solid, solid five innings uh, as a tune-up for the playoffs. I mean, you, you got to walk away from this one just feeling fantastic about yourself if you're Cal Quantrill. So, yeah, his two-seamer was really effective. Uh, even though Ahmed Rosario did have three hits on the day, uh, I'm giving MVP on the day to Cal Quantrill for this one. A nice, really good start for the for uh, for the guy who is gonna probably pitch Game Three in the playoffs. All right, so MLB news: we got some stuff to talk about because Aaron Judge has done it. He has hit home run number 62. He breaks uh, Roger Maris's AL home run record of 61. Obviously, that comes with plenty of controversy of who is the actual home run king. Look, I'm someone that, I'm sorry, I'm someone that thinks if you took steroids, you cheated. I am. I, I know it's a ridiculously hard line in the sand to draw, but Barry Bonds was such an amazing baseball player before the steroids, and I just it transformed him into something. I mean, yes, he still had to put the bat on the ball. I get it. I get the argument, but I mean, the strength was just undeniably enhanced. I mean, they were monster, monster home runs. So uh, he also had to train to become that kind of hitter, like mentally, his approach, his swing. He had to train himself to become that kind of hitter. It just wasn't the steroids and the weightlifting that turns you into the most prolific home run hitter of all time, but it does help and it does taint that record. So I am thoroughly impressed by Aaron Judge, who has a clean record when it comes to performance-enhancing drugs, as far as I know. And uh, yeah, I'm really impressed that he got to 62 home runs. Obviously, I'm not someone that's been watching Yankees games or even watching Yankees highlights all season. But I have been keeping you know an eye on it. A lot of the apps that I use, the sports apps, you know, have done a good job of reminding me where he's at. So it's really cool. It's really cool. Not only that, some fan in the stands catches it clean. So no controversies, no pileups. 
Uh, this dude can ha- claim that he caught Aaron Judge's 60-second home run ball. Uh, yeah, with one day left to go in the season, it's a fun thing to celebrate. The chase is always exciting. Whether you're chasing, you know, the hit streak, Lou Gehrig's hit streak, whether you're chasing the home run record, uh, I think uh, there was something, another record here um, uh, with strikeouts. Uh, what's his name for the Yankees? Uh, Cole. Uh, Garrett Cole apparently set uh, a strikeout record. So a lot of records fall in this season. These things are always fun. These chases are always fun. And especially there's something, there will always be something alluring about the home run ball, right? Just like, you know, Steph Curry shooting three-pointers from the logo, right, at center court. Just like a a Hail Mary from the 50-yard line to win a game, you know, to walk off a football game. There's just something alluring about the home run. There's something special about it. Now, those plays I described to you in, uh, in basketball and football, they're very rare, right? They happen a couple times a year. And, uh... In baseball, the beautiful thing about the home run is that it can happen at any moment. Any moment. You leave one hanging slider in the middle of the plate, one cutter that doesn't cut, one elevated fastball, and boom, like that. You can have a magic moment in the ballpark. So that's what makes the home run so special. And yeah, Pitching Ninja has made us appreciate strikeouts so much recently and appreciate good pitching so much. But there still is something special about the home run. I mean, it just pops the crowd, right? It's, it gets the crowd on its feet like nothing else in the game. So, Judge, congratulations on being the home run king. Uh, frankly, I'm not sure how you did it. I Like I said, I don't get to watch a lot of your games, but I am impressed by it. I am really impressed by it. Uh, other MLB baseball news. Tony LaRussa has officially announced that he's stepping down as manager from the White Sox. He said because of health reasons, but I think he also admitted that he didn't really get the job done in Chicago. Look, you can go back. I got receipts on this. You can go listen to old episodes when they hired him. I I didn't understand the fit. They had such a young, talented team full of prospects. I mean, I guess you can make an argument that an old veteran voice is the perfect voice for a group of young people. I mean, look what Terry Francona is doing here in Cleveland, but it's a completely different approach. La Russa wanted them to play like they were 10-year veterans instead of letting them let the kids play. Francona embraces the youth, embraces the hustle, embraces the speed, embraces the way they're changing the game to a level La Russa could never even wrap his mind around. I'm sure LaRusa sits up at night wondering how the hell Terry Francona beat him for the division with the team that he put on the field versus this highly regarded, highly touted preseason predicted team that the Chicago White Sox rolled out. So, yeah, uh, it's just, I mean, it shows you how bad it got in Chicago this season. And so he's out. They're back in the market looking for a manager. It's going to be very interesting to see what approach they take. Are they going to go out and find someone who can embrace the youth movement and let the kids play and encourage them to hustle? I don't really want them to. I kind of like that the White Sox have all these high expectations and then fail so spectacularly every year as a division rival. I like that. But hey, uh, you know, we'll see what kind of decision they make going forward, especially after the season and what the Guardians did to them. 
Uh, in fun news, in fun news, if you're not following me on Twitter at Davy Barris, a dog, I believe it was a golden retriever, caught a Francisco Lindor home run ball at City Field in New York. I think it was City Field. It looks like it was somebody's service animal, uh, and they were up in like a mezzanine deck or an upper deck, uh, and Lindor put a monster shot out there, and uh, the dog came up with the ball. And I gotta say, as as a dog owner myself, and you know, someone who loves dogs, loves watching dogs play, and the joy that they get out of finding a ball. When we go to the dog park, we do not bring toys. Because it doesn't matter what I bring. I can bring the coolest frisbee, the coolest toys. A found half-chewed tennis ball is a treasure at the dog park. So I get that dog. That dog just found the treasure of all treasures. The found ball of all found balls. A home run. He caught a home. I don't know if he caught it in his mouth. But he got a home run ball at a Major League Baseball game. That goes on the Mount Rushmore of dog moments uh, when it comes to finding a ball in the field somewhere. So uh, congratulations to that golden retriever. I get it. My dog Kenobi gets it. Uh, That's right. My dog is named Kenobi. Pretty cool dog name, right? Uh, Yeah, we get it. We know what it's like to find a ball out there. So congrats to the golden retriever. And then, uh, yeah. And then the last bit of news is officially Tampa Bay that we're facing. Uh, So it doesn't matter what happens. I know Seattle's finishing up a doubleheader right now with Detroit. But it doesn't matter what happens there because Tampa Bay lost tonight, which officially means Seattle is heading to Toronto and Tampa Bay is heading to Cleveland. All right, that is all my thoughts on this Cleveland Baseball Nightly. Again, the final from Progressive Field. It's your Guardians 5, the Kansas City Royals 3. I am ready for the playoffs, but we got one more game to go. So let's do it. Let's stay locked in with our guys. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Nightly. Nightly.